Well, let's transition to the sermon, shall we? Again, if you're a guest this morning, our service is built around the Word of God. We sang about the Word of God. It was the first worship song we sang. And so as we move to the sermon, the title of which is, God is with us. God is with us. Let me ask you a question. As you're turning to Ezra 7, by the way, let me ask you a question. What defines you? So can I ask you that question? What defines you? Is it your nationality? Is it the food you like? Is it your sports team? Gators. (laughs) Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your educational degree or what you're studying right now. Is it your personality? Is it your bank account? Are you defined by your successes? By your failures? By how many friends you have or don't have? But how many followers you have on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever else new people are devising these days. What defines you, dear friend? This morning, we're going to read about what defined Ezra. What defined Ezra? And we're going to read it from Ezra chapter 7. We are in episode 4 of the Ezra series. And actually, the Ezra series is part of a greater series called God's Redemption Story Series. It's a series that began right when man sinned and rebelled against God in Genesis chapter 3. And it's a series that will not end until Jesus Christ, the Redeemer and the Savior that God promised He would send back in Genesis 3, returns again. And brings with him the new heavens and the new earth and the resurrection from the dead, which Ruth's father will experience. And he will wipe away the tears that Ruth is crying today. And he will share his glory with us. We're in the middle of that series. We're in the Palm Vista series. February 8th, 2015. But we want to read about the Ezra series. Because that series took place in 458 B.C., 2,500 years ago. And God's faithfulness to bring a Savior to us, revealed in that series, gives us hope today in our series, so that when we look for the day that that Savior returns, we will remain faithful and full of joy. We're encouraged by God's redemptive acts Revealed in Ezra 7, 2,500 years ago. That is what we want to do today. That is what I want to pray for right now. That you would be encouraged to be faithful. To be faithful. Wherever you're at right now, to be faithful. Because God is faithful. He's fulfilling His promise to send a Savior. And I want you, I want you to hear that this morning. So I want to pray for that. You're going to hear it from God's Word. So may God give me the grace to preach it and you the grace to hear it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, you are faithful. Thank you that this Bible is a record of your redemption story series. Thank you that we have it. Lord, give us a greater desire to read it, to teach it, to apply it, to do it. That it would affect our lives. That it would bring joy to us. Lord, it would bring hope to us. 
And help me to preach this specific chapter. Ezra 7. Set in 458 BC. But it has much to speak to us in 2015 AD. Because you're the same God now as you were then. Help my friends to hear it. Build your church in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read it. Ezra 7. You there? Verse 1. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Marioth, son of Zariah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishu, son of Phinehas, son of Eliezer, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra, just in case you're wondering which Ezra, this Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given, and the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Verse 7. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel, some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants. And he came to Jerusalem, he being Ezra, in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. We know it's 458 BC because history tells us that's the seventh year of Artaxerxes' reign. Verse 9, from the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, about four months later, he came to Jerusalem. For the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. This text tells us that two things defined Ezra. The first one, point one, here's what defined Ezra. God's hand was on him. God's hand was on him. Please look in the text to verify that. Look at verse 6b. For the hand of the Lord his God was on him. You see that? Look at verse 9b. For the good hand of his God was on him. And then look at the last verse of our text. Verse 28. Ezra says, I took courage. For the hand of the Lord my God was on me. What does it mean for the hand of the Lord to be on someone? Well, biblically, for the hand of the Lord to be on someone means that the power of God was on them. So the hand of the Lord on Ezra meant that the power of the Lord was on Ezra to perform the purposes of the Lord. And we learn that because we read in verse 6, go back to verse 6, This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given and the king granted him all that he asked, comma, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. God's hand, God's power was on Ezra to fulfill God's purpose. And what is God's purpose? Well, listen up. Previously, on Ezra. Let me see the map. We learn that God's people in 586 BC, okay, 
130 years earlier, had disobeyed God in the promised land where it says Judah there. That's modern day Israel. And God judged them and took them from the promised land following that brown line all the way into exile into Babylon, Babylonia. But God's purpose was to bring his people back into the promised land, what we've studied previously as the second exodus. The first exodus occurred in 1440 B.C., almost 900 years earlier, when God took his people from Egypt, the lower left-hand corner, into the promised land. Now, 900 years later, God's people find themselves in exile in Babylon because of their sin. And God says, I'm going to take you back to the land. I'm going to take you back, second exodus. Why? Because God is faithful to his promise. Remember, Ezra is part of the redemption story series. And in the pilot series, God said, you sinned against me, Adam and Eve. You disobeyed me. You ate of the fruit I told you not to eat of, but I'm going to provide a savior for you. And in, and in season three, God said that savior is going to come from a particular people, the Hebrews. So he called a guy named Abraham and he said to Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation of you and I'm going to give you a promised land, that land we're looking at right here. And then in 1440 BC, God used Moses to bring the people into that land from Egypt. Now remember, what's the goal? That a savior would come from a particular people in a particular land. That savior, we now know is Jesus. They didn't know it was Jesus back then. This is BC. You know, BC is before Christ. But they knew the promise. So they had to get to the land. But the problem was, they, were, they got into the land in 1440 BC. But by 586 BC, they had so disobeyed God that God was faithful to judge them. I don't know if you can relate to that. <laughs> I can. And he evicted him from his land. And he placed them in Babylon. So here's the big question mark that, that's over our series, Redemption Story series. Here's the tension of the series. Will the Savior come? And will he come from the Jews who are in the promised land? It's not looking so good. Already ten tribes are gone. There's two tribes left, and they're no longer in the promised land. They're in Babylon. Will they intermarry? Will they lose the purity of the Jewish people? Can the Savior come? As a matter of fact, it's worse than that. Because in those 900 years that they were in the promised land, they built a temple by God's hand. And that temple was where God lived, his spirit lived. And they built a city, the city of God. And they built walls around that city. But because of their sin, because of their sin, in 586 B.C., God, God destroyed their city. God destroyed the temple. And God evicted them and sent them to Babylon. But you see, God is faithful to his promises. So God said, I'm going to send you back. Episode one of Ezra, he did that through a guy named Zerubbabel in around 538 B.C. And now in episode four, that was the first wave. Now in episode four, he's going to send back the second wave, Ezra, in 458 B.C. The first wave were successful in building the temple. That was last week's episode. And now the temple is built, but the city is still destroyed. So Ezra is coming back now by the hand of God. Remember, the power of God is on Ezra for God's purposes. And Ezra's purposes now are to teach the people. The temple has been erected. They're sacrificing, but they're largely ignorant of God's law. They've been in exile for over 70 years now. 
Actually, 130 years. And so Ezra has been sent by God to teach the people. Later, he's going to send a guy named Nehemiah back. That's the book right after Ezra, around 448 BC, to rebuild the walls of the city. So that, for example, at the time of Jesus, almost 400 and some years later, you're going to have a Jerusalem with walls, a second temple, and it's all ready for Jesus, the Savior, to be born into that context. Well, Ezra knew that had to happen. And so the hand of God was upon Ezra. And God himself moved the heart of Artaxerxes, the king, to give Ezra everything he asked for. Look at verse 6 again. The king granted him, Ezra, all that he asked for. So here's the question for you. What did Ezra ask for? Do we have a record of what Ezra asked for? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Verses 11 to 26 of chapter 7 is a letter listing everything Ezra asked for. How do I know that? Well, logic, I can deduct from this fact. If verse 6 tells me that the king gave Ezra everything he asked for, then everything that the king gave Ezra is everything Ezra asked for. So, in verses 11 to 26, I can read what Ezra asked for. And it's quite a list. First of all, Ezra asked that all the Jews that wanted to go back with him would be allowed to go back to the promised land. Because he knew God's people don't belong in exile in unclean Babylon. God's people belong in the promised land. And so he's saying, guys, come on, let's go. And he said, king, can they come with me? King says, yep. Now, we, we studied this last week. This is the king's decree. As a matter of fact, look at it, verse 11. It, it tells you right there. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in the matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. So these, these, are, these, are, these are Artaxerxes' words, by the way, probably written by Jewish men that were serving the king, which is really, I find, wonderfully sovereign of God. So the language in this letter has a lot of Old Testament scripture in it. It was the king's decree, or was it, written by Jews. When I say was it, I think it's God's decree. The king was just doing what God decreed. Verse 12, Artaxerxes, the letter starts this way. Artaxerxes, king of kings. (laughs) Nah. To Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven and peace. Of heaven, peace. And now, verse 13, make a decree that any one of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. So the king said, okay, Ezra, you asked me that they can go? They can go. Ezra also asked the king if they could return the vessels that were taken by Nebuchadnezzar, stay with me, in 586 B.C., We're now 458 B.C. If they could return all the remaining vessels that had been taken by the king of Babylon when God allowed him to judge Israel and destroy the temple. When that happened, all the gold in the temple, and there was a lot, was taken to Babylon. Some of it went back with Zerubbabel in 538 B.C. It's now 458 B.C. And Ezra says, can I take the rest of it back? And the king says, yes, you can. And then Ezra says, well, can you fund this trip? And the king says, yes, I can. 
As a matter of fact, I'm going to fund it from Babylon, and I'm going to give you this letter that when you get to the province beyond the river, which is just a fancy way of saying modern-day Israel, the governors there are going to give you all you need. You need bulls for your sacrifice? You got it. You need lambs for your sacrifice? You got it. You need oil? You got it. God is sovereign over all. Artaxerxes isn't the king of kings. Jesus is the king of kings. And so Ezra comes back because the hand of his God is on him. And this is what he comes back to do. He comes back to finish the house of God. I want you to note something. In this letter recorded to us from Artaxerxes, house of God is mentioned seven times. Look in your Bibles with me. If you don't have one, look on with the person next to you. The first mention of the house of God is in verse 16b. With all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia, with the freewill offerings of the people and priests, vowed willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem. The next mention of the house of God is verse 17b. With this money then you shall with all diligence buy bulls, rams, and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings. You shall offer them on the altar of the house of God that is in Jerusalem. The next next mention is 19b. The vessels that have been given you for the service of the house of your God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. The next mention is verse 20a. And whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. I mean, the wealth of the heathen is reserved for the Lord and his people. You understand that, right? It's all God's. It's all God's. Verse 23b is the next mention. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be. Do you realize that this is a pagan king writing this? You know what he's saying? Whatever the God of heaven says, and Ezra is the expert. What did the God of heaven say, Ezra? Okay, that's what you're supposed to do. What else did he say? Okay, I'm going to write that in there. It's amazing. He's not the king of kings. Jesus is the king of kings. And whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven. In fact, it's interesting in verse 23, Artaxerxes says, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. And then the final mention of the house of God, excuse me, second to the last is 24b. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute. Listen, they got tax exemption here. Custom or toll on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or other servants of this house of God. And then finally, verse 27, the seventh reference to the house of God in these passages. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king. This is Ezra thanking God to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. Oh, friends. Ezra was defined by the hand of God, the power of God on him to fulfill the purposes of God, to build up the house of God. Is that what defines you and me? That's the question. Am I defined by the hand of God on me to fulfill the purpose of God in me? That's what this text is telling us. And that's what God wants to to, uh, communicate to us this morning. That we can do as Ezra did in verse 28. And we can bless the name of our Lord. And we can say, God has extended to me his steadfast love. Before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers, I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me. May we take courage, church, that the hand of the Lord our God is on us to rebuild the house of God. Listen, the the temple was built 
But the people were untaught. The temple was built, but the people were untaught. So God sent Ezra, it was very much on Ezra's mind, to go back and build the house of the Lord, his God. That leads us to point two. The second thing that defined Ezra was God's word. We are defined by God's word. I want you to look again at verse 6, how Ezra is described. Look at verse 6. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses. A scribe skilled in the law of Moses. Look at verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Look at verse 11. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra, the priest. Notice how they describe him. The scribe, a man learned in the matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. So Ezra was known as a man who was expert in the law of God. Let this fall on you for a second. This man is defined by two things. The hand of God is on him. God's power is on him for God's purposes. And the second thing that defines Ezra, he's a man of the word. The word of God defined him. He loved the word of God. Here's the amazing thing. Do you understand this? Ezra most likely was born and raised in captivity. Ezra was born and raised in pagan, idolatrous Babylon. He was not in the promised land. He did not see the temple. There was no temple. He was raised in a pagan world, but he had faith. He was defined not by his surroundings, not by his wealth. He may have been a wealthy man. Listen, his genealogy is impressive. The reason I had to read all those crazy names at the beginning was because the author wanted to ascertain Ezra was a serious dude. He might have had a lot of money. I mean, his great, 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 great grandfather was Aaron himself, the, the first high priest. He came from a significant family, but that's not what defined him. What defined him was the word of God. And it defined him in a place where God's word was by faith. Why would you become an expert in a law that's not in effect in a pagan land? Why would you become expert on the promises of God that you don't see? All you see, you've lived all your life under the judgment of God, seemingly. In exile because of the sins of your forefathers. By faith. What defined him wasn't his current circumstances, but the realities of God's word. He devoted himself to it. He devoted himself to it. Oh, friends. He devoted himself not only to his word, to God's word, but he devoted himself to teaching God's word, to preaching God's word. Look at verse 10 again. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. See, friends, we get our theology of the word of God from these verses. Ezra believed that the word of God, the law for him, was given by God to Moses. And therefore, he said, I don't care where I'm at. I don't care whose rule I'm under. I know who really rules me, and I'm going to study this, even though it seems irrelevant. Why study the Bible? You live in Babylon, dude. 
The future for you is to learn this pagan religion. Get a good job with the king. They're hiring in Babylon. Jerusalem's a ruin. There's nothing there. Some people say that about South Florida spiritually. The promise of God. That's all I need, says Ezra. The word of God, that's all I need, says Ezra. The promise that a savior will come from a people in the promised land. And that savior is going to come from the people. So therefore, the power of God, the hand of God is on me. I'm going back to the ruined city. I'm called to rebuild it. And how is he called to rebuild it, friends? With the word of God. That's how the church is built today. The word of God. Preach the word. Live the word, do the word, disciple the word, share the word, talk about the word. Let it become living and active. Let it be incarnate in our lives. I'm not talking about Ezra anymore. I'm talking about us now, aren't I? We're in the ruined city of South Florida. Who lives by the word of God here? You mentioned the word of God at work. Today you could get fired. You mentioned it in this auditorium on any day other than Sunday, you will get fired. But it's so relevant. Nothing you study is more relevant than the word of God. Because God is faithful. And that's what we see here. Ezra devoted himself to beautifying the house of God with the word of God. And where he concludes this message in verses 27 and 28 is where I want to conclude this message. Look at it with me again. Verses 27 and 28. Ezra, after receiving everything he asked for, and he asked for it according to God's word because he memorized it. He learned it. He studied it. Even though he was in captivity, his soul was free. Even though he was in Babylonia, the pagan Babylonia, his heart and spirit were in the promised land. And God did it. God built his church. God sent his people. And listen to how Ezra responds. Blessed, verse 27 of Ezra 7. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king. God did it. To beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And who extended to me his steadfast love. Oh, friends, Ezra could say that because he's looking forward to Messiah. He doesn't know his name, but he's looking forward to Jesus Christ. Who 500 years later will extend God's steadfast love to us on the cross. And Jesus said, forget that temple. That one's going to be destroyed too, the second one. But I am now the temple. You meet with God in me. And he extended that steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage. Take courage, church. Take courage. For the hand of the Lord my God is on me. Notice the first two references are third person. The hand of the Lord his God was on him. The hand of the Lord his God was on him. But now in verse 28, it's first person. The hand of the Lord my God is on me. And that's what I pray for you, dear believer. May you be able to say this morning, the hand of the Lord my God is on me. Personalize it. And if you're here this morning and aren't a believer, oh, I just appeal to you in the name of Jesus. Come to this one whom Ezra saw by faith. Come to this one who fulfills the temple, the place to meet with God. Come to Jesus, where steadfast love, mercy, is extended to people who don't deserve it. That's the definition of mercy. You get what you don't deserve. 
Ezra thanked God for it. He was looking to Jesus. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me and gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. Oh, friends, may we have such a high view of Scripture as Ezra had that we would devote ourselves to studying it, to doing it, to teaching it, as it says there in Scripture that Ezra devoted himself to by making disciples with God's Word, beautifying God's house. We are now God's house. We are living stones being built together for a house to God with His Word. And may we thank God that his hand is on us and his word is in us. That's what defines us. You know what defines you? God's hand is on you and his word is in you. That's what defines you. That's your identity. Not your sin, not your success, not your friends, not anything, not your job. What defines you is God's hand is on me and his word is in me. Friend, God is building his house. He has sovereignly chosen us in Christ Jesus. And he's saying, go. Build in faith. Take courage, for I am with you. Let us pray. Lord, if there are those here this morning who cannot say, God is with me, they, they, they don't know what it is to have the hand of the Lord upon them. They, they are wondering, what does that mean? Lord, I pray that you would reveal to them right now, <coughs> in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, who emptied himself of the glory he shared with you to come here to fulfill your promise of a Savior in Genesis 3, to fulfill your promise to Abraham that through you, Abraham, through a Jew, will come one who will bless the nations, to fulfill your promise to Moses of a prophet greater than you, Moses, will come and lead his people, to fulfill his promise to David that I will put a king on your throne, David, on the throne of David who will rule forever and ever and ever. Not just Israel, but the nations. You emptied yourself, Lord Jesus. Took on the form of man. Lived a perfect life. Died on the cross as the sacrifice, on the altar, in the heavenly holy of holies. And your blood cleanses, takes away the penalty of our sin. You rose from the dead. You ascended into heaven back to the glory of the Father. And then you offer to share that glory with us. Lord, if there's those that don't know that, open their eyes. Let them see now. Let them repent and believe now. And for the rest of us that know you, Lord, please encourage us this morning. We can get discouraged sometimes sitting in exile in Babylon. Also known as South Florida. We can wonder, is this thing even real? What am I doing studying the Bible? Oh, Father, renew our faith. Open our eyes. Let us see Jesus as we gather. Come and teach us. Spirit, come and speak to us today. We delight in you, Lord. Help us delight more. Lead us, guide us, for it's your word we pray that lights our way. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing this song as a confession and as an agreement with these truths.